Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Good Vibes with Jason B, a Broad Minds and More podcast station. Today, we are going to start our series of Deficit to Asset. What Deficit to Asset is a personal, financial, physical, metaphysical, spiritual, and whole being um, uplifting. Deficit is basically the minus and uh, asset is obviously the plus. They both have distinctive meanings and I'm sure you can more than likely look them up in the dictionary and the synonyms that are connected to each. But in this particular series, I'll be recording on Tuesdays or Thursdays and putting out once a week of how I've accomplished goals through staying focused and becoming an asset to myself. There are so many things that are attacking our personal personas. There are things that are um, after all of our efforts, all of our personal finances, all of our attention. There's constantly battles from monopolies and positioning. But while this is happening, so many people are becoming unhappy. People are living lives that they don't really normally deserve. Making decisions that under normal circumstances they probably wouldn't have made. What impacts us and influences on all of our decisions is the way that we process the information, the communication, the data, and so on. On deficit to asset, we're going to go over certain things that are just not right and how we can recorrect and make something in a better, more focused way for us all. I've been taking a lot of time to understand a lot of the decision making and processes that it takes not just to be successful financially but personally. I've looked at how I've developed um, a good attitude towards people looking forward to different challenges and accomplishing and learning from the life lessons as they're presenting themselves. So maybe the few mistakes or I shouldn't say few but mistakes and accomplishments and choices that I've made might help you in the decision making for tomorrow. So let's stay tuned for our first edition of Deficit to Asset. Okay, so let's go into some of the important definitions of deficit and asset. So first, let's start out with the asset, the positive, so to speak. A useful, valuable thing, person, or quality. Um, Synonyms connected to assets, benefit, advantage, blessing, good point, strong point, strength, forte, talent, gift, strong suit, long suit, virtue, recommendation, attraction, attraction feature, selling point, resources, beauty, boon, value, merit, bonus, aid, help, and more. Asset can also be defined as a property owned by a person or company regarded as having a value and an available meets debts and commitments of of and or legacies. Um, Synonyms connected to this would be property, resource, estate, holdings, and possessions, effects, goods, valuables, and belongings. So the definition of, you know, asset has some pretty strong, distinctive things. And if we were to go into um, the definition of deficit, and here's what it says. The amount in which something, especially a sum of money, is too small. 
Synonyms are shortfall, deficiency, shortage, undersupply, slippage, and more. Along with it, it comes with an excess of expenditure or liabilities over income or assets in giving a given period. In sports, the amount of score by which a team or individual is losing. So it's pretty interesting about the specific definitions of, of what you look at at both. How do they affect our daily lives and what's going on? One of the first things that before I actually get into the conspiracy and the thought process of what takes away from you and what's being taught to us uh, and our children is understanding that there is the, the plus, the supply, and the minus, which is the, the lack. Now, how we take both and use both are very distinct. Um, the decision making that goes with having assets versus deficits come to our own personal decisions. We have to look at how we handle things, you know, while under pressure. Um, the, the, I guess you could say the collective thought process of, well, if I'm, for example, I've got a paycheck that is $4,500 and my expenses are $3,000. I've got $1,500 to spend or save. And a lot of times what people deal with today is an emotion in response to their daily living and their programming. So when we hear this, when we see this, there are things that influence our world from when we watch TV, listen to radio podcasts. Um, when we're on the internet, on our, our smartphones, the games we play on those smartphones, the social media, the, everything that we're interconnected with has an influence over our decision making. Um, it's whether you have the strong foundation in yourself to say, well, you know, the smart thing is I'm going to put some aside just for saving. I'm not going to touch it. I don't have a plan for it but it is my resources when I need it. So, so say, say like kind of like the age of old when people are saving up grain and saving up food for the winter, you know, they have it before it's too late to get it. So it's, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, it seems like it's common sense. It shouldn't be too hard. But what if there were things that are influencing too much and taking advantage and their monopolies beyond your control and they imply that you don't have much of a choice but to work the way that you do work where you are and have to accept the kind of attitude that comes along with it the kind of feelings the kind of um, impressions that you're always you know sending out and some people do it by um, they don't want people to see that they're suffering so they show a life of occupants and they um, you know want to live up to the image of the Joneses, so to speak. So what I've discovered, I had a problem with that too. I came from a, a poor background. My mom was a person who raised three kids, didn't get much help. You know, like so many other sad stories, you know, didn't have the financial support and the emotional support that we needed. So in that time period, there was a lot of lessons learned that probably could have been not having to go through had there been better support so it really goes into our whole livelihoods and how we're connected you know from our childhood to 
our parentage and even into our later years. So the decisions you're going to make today are deeply going to affect the outcomes of tomorrow. So what can we do necessarily about that, you know? And sometimes it has to go beyond instinctual or, you know, I, I've gone through that, that period where it's like, oh, I'm going through hard times, you know, I got a little bit of money. Let's just go out and forget about it. But then when you come back, you still feel the same way. I've been there. I know what that's like, you know, or then you're living in your parents' roof or you're, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out why can't I get a place of my own? Why can't I afford, you know, it's so expensive. The prices are outrageous. So your decision-making is in response to the outside conditions and not the inside conditions. Because when you're feeling good, this is a well-known fact. When you're feeling good, you make really good decisions. When you're under stress and under duress, you're making a lot of decisions either in panic, survival, or just assumption, not with a good critical thought process. So how do we get from there to the good place. Now, if you're going from the deficit and you're in debt, you, you don't have more, much more than $10 or $100 or $1,000 in your checking account. How do we get from that point to the person that is that they see and are exactly the person living the way that they envision themselves? And that's the key. Did you have a vision for yourself and did you create it? Not just an action plan, like creating, getting organized is one thing but executing action step by step. Now, not, not all life is step by step. Sometimes you just gotta be fluid and wing it. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about, I've lived a life for so long and I'm not getting any farther ahead. It seems like so many things are affecting us. Cost of gas, rents, mortgages are going up. Cost of food is going up. Um, healthcare is extremely expensive. What affect all those things? And how can you fight against it? This is where we're going to talk specifically how to develop a game plan of mental, physical, spiritual, and financial planning. Each of them have their own categories. Um, I've learned about finances. Um, I've been reading not just from the experts, but I'm seeing the mistakes that are being made constantly. Now, the economy right now is based on a borrowing system, a borrowing value. This is how credit really works. You only gain credit by the amount that you're going to borrow and that you can keep track of a regular payment structure. Not paying it off, but regular payment structure. So it's a way to tell the banks or creditors, whatever, that you're worth it because you keep on time by paying your bills of what you owe. So you're owing some money. So the money you use, the money you earn is not really yours per se. It's just a transfer of rights, responsibilities, so that you are given an allowance. Keyword. But there's something that, that's missing. Now, money doesn't really have a value unless someone puts a meaning and number behind it to where it can be used so it's like an asset you know just like when I define assets the property for example say like you own a property and it's worth 400,000 paid it off 
you got 400,000 credit that you can borrow against your property. But the catch is you got to pay that back. And then you got to pay it with interest. So here is the kicker. What if you didn't necessarily always had to borrow? Not for everything. What if you could just pay for cash for exactly your needs and a little bit of wants? Now that's the hard part is understanding the needs versus the wants. A lot of people confuse the two. For example, my child needs a cell phone so that he can call me when he gets out of school. My child needs to pay, I need to pay for their soccer program so that he doesn't get out of hand so that he can work out his emotions. If you hear the common thing behind them all, my child needs. Now, let's go down to the basics. Your child needs guidance, shelter, food, sleep, and a good mentor, a good teacher. We send our children to be educated, to be skilled people, to work something in some way or fashion or form to become their own person. Now, nowadays, the schools have been convoluted on how they teach and what they teach. So before accounting, business accounting, and um, you know checks and balances used to be taught in school, was emphasized in school. You learn mathematics as a, ma- a method of counting and measure, not to figure out computer analytics or whatever, there to get you to measure a resource, what you can use, what you might want to save and what you can live off of three different areas now the gap is closing in between and it seems like the powers that be want to take 90% of all what you earn and give you very little and impress upon the means and the attitude on you so we have these different organizations these different powers that are arguing amongst each other and they're all arguing for your control for you giving up your power but let's say now some there are people that will argue against me and then I'm I'm being stupid but I'm gonna sh- show you give you an example um, recently I restarted the restructure to evaluate my credit and to see what I was worth my credit score was about 652 so it's not really great it's not totally bad but it's workable from four years ago, my credit rating was 398. That was pretty damn low. So I, I grew over time in four years with my borrowing and paying back my old debts that were delinquent or whatever, things that I just wasn't, I just ignored. Like a lot of people, you get a bill, it's like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. And then until they come after you in court and go ahead and into collections where you have to pay because it's going to be taken out of your paycheck. That's a symptom of a process that puts you in a deficit. So how do we, the real question is, how do we get past the, I owe so much and I have so little mentality. So the poor man's mentality. It goes beyond the mentality you have, if you're going to change the stasis or the position, the way it is right now, 
You have to have a game plan to change that. An attitude, a belief system, a standard, and a fluidity to work with the conditions that you're working in. So in several different areas that I've read, like for example, Rich Dad Poor Dad, they'll tell you if you buy a house, it's a liability. Unless you're using the house temporarily and using it for a gain, a short-term gain or medium gain, like you're gonna hold buy a house, only hold on to it for five years, get some equity and increase in value and then resell it. Well, that's kind of like gambling. It really is. And understanding how really how money works. This is the key that you have to understand about how money works. It is a tool. It's not gold because money exchanges, but there's nothing really backing it. Just your word, just where the country you live in, that they guarantee that whatever numbers that represent in your checking account is guaranteed to, for use, for use. So if your account is in the positive, you have monies to spend. How you spend it, how you pay your bills, is what you do but you don't see your bank account ever being in the red and you can use the red you can't so what do we do to increase our holdings how do we develop to be really becoming a better person in choosing the right kind of partner to be with making an action plan developing a lifestyle that's worth living they say that money can't buy happiness Money is the tool that you use to get to happiness. That's my theory. So it's better to have than have not. I don't care how anyone moralistically cuts it. You have to understand that the tool is not the determining, sole determining thing to what choices you make in life. They're the tools in which you have used to direct your way in life. So if you, for example, gave up on working, became homeless, one way or the other, you're going to want to come back to try to gain money. Either people are going to beg, steal, or hustle in some way, but they're still going to go back into the process of still trying to earn it, whether legally or illegally. But how does it affect our person? How does it affect us emotionally? Have you ever been so stressed out you're just ready to pull your hair out at the end of the day and trying to figure out how am I going to eat the next day? How am I going to feed my kids next week? Have you been in that position? I've lived through that. I've watched my mom go through it at one time. It wasn't easy. But what it did teach me at that time was an attitude of death. Now rich people teach their children how not just to maintain but to use what they have to influence others to work for them and then they gain more. Now, if you really notice the real rich, these people are polite, have manners, do not speak a certain way, do not dress a certain way, and they do everything they can to maintain a disciplined order in their households and in their neighborhoods. They do not allow or do not participate in places or with people that are going to take away from their assets. They quickly just separate themselves and, you know, we've seen it time and time again 
guy rich one day and poor the next, you know? So, um, kind of reminds me of that movie, uh, Delirious, I believe it, it's called, um, with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, where Dan Aykroyd's a rich, been well-to-do Harvard-raised or Yale-raised, um, rich guy to Eddie Murphy, who's a bum on the street. And these brothers, these uncles decide to pull a mean prank and switch the roles on both and see how each other would work. In the long run, in, in the, um, at the end of the movie, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy ended up meeting and they come together and they work together and they turn the tides on this sick game that these people had played on them to the other people. Interesting story. So how it really relates is, you know, we all constantly hear we all should work together. We should all be peaceful. There are cultures and people that are purposely divided in their attitudes and where they live. So they're constantly stressed. So it's like they call it the jungle. Jungle, you're going to survive. Concrete jungle in the hood or neighborhoods, whatever. You know, you're constantly arguing. You're constantly dealing with, with you know, people trying to fight for very little instead of a lot. They're talking about respect and willing to kill over it as opposed to just let it fly, leave it alone. Doesn't need to be paying attention to. The logic and wisdom in our emotions are predicated by different areas, our environment, the people we're in and out with, where we work, and where our mindset of goals are. If your mindset is just to party the weekend out and live it up for now, you're, not, you're really going to end in a short place in a short period of time and you're not really going to have much and you're going to wonder why you're going to suffer from so many things instead of really being happy and free. But then there comes a difference. I've seen rich people who really don't buy a whole lot of the most expensive things but have just enough and are happy exactly what they have and they continue to gain assets financially, spiritually, physically. They take care of themselves. It should be easy to take care of yourself, right? Right? Well, for some reason, a lot of us are confused about how to do that. We look at influencers. We look at people that have, who are publicly speaking. We look at characters like Eric Thomas, Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins, so on and so forth, Les Brown. These are all people that get paid for your attention. There are times they have some really critical useful wisdoms but they will charge you for those wisdoms now just remember in this instance it really does reflect the student seeks the teacher but i'm gonna spin it a different way what these guys are doing there's they're advertising like the greatest show on earth that they have the wisdoms and they're going to use the inequities to attract people to feel they, if they follow them, they will gain success. Now, I'm not going to not say that people have not gained success through their wisdoms. And those who figured out that, you know, some of their wisdoms were really for their benefit and they gave back to people. But they don't always practice all these different philosophies. I was taught a long time ago in philosophy, do not get lost in one person's theology or philosophy. And that really made an impact on me because it 
it made me think about how my religion and how I practice my faith. I don't get lost in it too much. I don't argue about it, and I used to a lot. I accept the different wisdoms amongst the world as being a life learner. And if you can do that, that key word, be a life learner, you have one extra step ahead of the crowd. So let's start off with the first the first lesson that I want to talk about. Okay. You're looking at your checkbook. You're looking at your account balance. It's very little. You're looking at all the bills and all you spent this last month. And you're saying, Jason, where can I save? So the first thing we're going to have to do is get rid of the luxuries. Remember when you're going to sacrifice pick a destination point, sacrifice for a certain period of time. Then after that sacrifice is met and given, look at the assets or the monies or whatever that has made your bank account a little bit more inflated and you paid off a little bit more debt. So it's like one thing that's not gaining interest a little bit more than it did yesterday. My strategy is Yes, I have big debts and yes, I have small debts. Once I really try to focus a lot of time on are the little debts at first because they can become bigger debts later. The big debts, you're just gonna, you're going to end up paying, but you're going to pay a percentage. So what you got to do is instead of trying to go after the biggest tree possible, you got to clear the little trees out of the way so that when the big tree falls and so to speak, gets paid off, you have a clear way and you have a whole big giant redwood supposedly to make a home or whatever you want out of. Here's what I I did. So um, I had lots of little credit card debts and I had lots of little like um, tech goods, like I was buying an Apple computer. I paid off my Apple computer um, through payments. It was like $68 a month, but I owed a total of 700. What I did was, okay, I realized if the device I buy has to have multiple uses that have to be important, if they don't have to be, then I need to get rid of that computer or give it back and say, I can't borrow anymore. If you can, if you're stuck with it, you're stuck with it. No big deal. Second part was the entertainment. How much of my life of my money goes towards my entertainment to make me feel better? A lot of people, they spend probably about over $150 to $200 a month, maybe, on entertainment. And for the less, it's fortunate, probably a lot less than that. You know, some people are just trying to survive. Like I said, I've read about people who've really turned their life around from deficit to asset. And one of the things that some of these people that I've read about, they got rid of all going out to movies, going out to eat for exactly one year they agreed they said okay for one year i wrote a contract i will not go to the movies i will not do netflix i will not do cable i will not spend time on this entertainment for one year's time they stuck to it and guess what this one couple went from one hundred thirty-two thousand dollars in debt to thirty thousand in debt in one year and then the next year they they paid off the $30,000 remainder and they began of a $60,000 
surplus. So they had an asset. So when they gave up all their entertainment for a year, they kept it going even to the second year. They learned a mentality, spent time with each other, spent time with the family, spent time with um, this and that. So they kind of learned about um, what it took, what was taking time away from each other. Um, I was, as I was reading about what the dad was saying, he's like, I noticed that my son spent more time talking to me and wanted to be involved with me as well as my daughter because they were bored. And when they stopped wanting to be bored, they got interested in the different things we could be doing. So they transferred their attention from the deficit to being entertained, being in their own worlds and not connecting to being so connected and learning from one another. So what the dad was explaining was, was like, well, when we gave up TV and all that, we just had basic television. We got to watch maybe something here and there, but it wasn't very much. But our attention did turn to reading our books, reading stories, and talking about it. The morals. And seeing my children understand those moral lessons. So from what I was learning from this one guy, he was just basically telling, you know, people that he re cemented the foundation of his family by taking away what was supposed to be a pleasure but really was a pain and with that pain he managed to pay off responsibilities and obligations and then one year later started a surplus now once you start gaining a surplus banks and other financial institutions will send out invitations for you to go and invest money. Why let your money just sit in a bank account earning very little interest? By all means, that's true. We can't argue that. Our checking and savings accounts do not earn the interest that they should. It's like you're gonna gain like what, a two or three dollars depending on the amount? You know, doesn't seem like very much. So the banks and the, and the financial systems, they wanna borrow against your asset, your capital that you built so that they can lend and they can allegedly earn money for you. But it's really a short-term thing. So you got to learn how to use the system against itself. So if you have money in the bank and you want something, why borrow? Use a small percentage to get what you want. We're making sure that it's not going to be a waste. And that's a big key. There's a lot of things to um, tempt us like, oh, I need this big TV. I need this nice new car. I need to go on this vacation. I need to go do these things. I need to buy this kind of fashion. I need, I need, I need. No, you need to be grounded. You need to understand that what you have in your hands, keyword, in your hands, is sometimes more valuable than buying an object that ends up costing you more money. So say like you get a computer nowadays, a, a new computer, guess what? You're gonna pay internet. You're gonna pay cost to connect to the internet. Then from the internet, you're gonna pay for protection. Then you're gonna pay for all these other things. And then you're gonna have more temptations to get other things. So it kind of reminds me of George Carlin's uh, skit. It's like, I try to make more money so I can buy more stuff 
so I can make more money and buy a bigger house to buy more stuff. You know? And in the end, he ends up explaining, now I've got all this shit. And it really made me realize when, when he said that way back when, and I'm looking at, you go ever go to an estate, estate sale? You see how much stuff people, they can't take with them to the grave. The families don't want it, so they want to sell it. And for what? And a lot of the stuff hadn't been used for years. It doesn't get used for years. It's beyond their means. We have clutter and things in our homes to, for a collection. They've even made television shows called Hoarders, talking about how people save things and how their emotional attachment to save on, hold on to things for a use for later, but yet they still waste money in their position and they feel sad and depressed. They, they get with people that they don't even deserve, that really mistreat them. So if you really think about it, the way to start salvaging yourself and going from a deficit to an asset starts by your attitude. Understand that the sacrifices need to be planned out and committed to. So you commit to um, a short period of time. If you have to get a second job, you agree not to make that second job your lifestyle, but it is a temporary solution to accelerate paying back obligations and helping you gain some assets only for a short period of time. Once that short period of time is, you can make a better decision to put yourself in a better place and maybe a better career position that sustains your life a lot better. Seems easy, right? It's not. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do and I'm still working on to this day. I wouldn't preach this unless I was doing it myself. So here's the simple plan that I've done. I did every paycheck at first was $10, 10 to $100. No matter what, went into this separate savings account I do not have an ATM card for. I'd go to the bank and I'd deposit it. And it was my self-discipline that I couldn't use a card to go and get that money when I felt like it. I created that discipline. Okay, this money is going to be saved for my future and what I need later. I'm saving for my retirement for when I have other needs and other wants or necessities. Then I took another $100 to put into my savings account that was attached to my checking account. So if something happened and I couldn't pay for it, I have overdraft protection of my own money. So I'm setting myself up with like some backup securities. But it's like, okay, Jason, well, I still got bills to pay. Yeah, I get it. But you created those bills. You know what I mean? You've created those bills in the understanding that um, if you wouldn't have made the choice to give up and to borrow against yourself more than what you had, you wouldn't be in that position, right? Well, I had a choice either keep the lights on or keep food on the table or not. And my response to that is there's more decisions than to get you up to that point. So we're not here to make you a target or an enemy. 
we're just here to address the symptoms first. That's the biggest key. Address your symptoms that contribute to the problem, that make the problem what it is. <coughs> so what, I, what I've done was, is I said to myself, all right, I'm no longer gonna have a poor man's mentality. I'm gonna have a mentality of wealth. I'm gonna learn what the wealthy do. I'm gonna look at how they live. I'm gonna do some research. What do I need? Now, the first thing you're probably gonna think is, I need to get organized. Yes, you do. The key to getting organized is don't be an over-analytical person to be over-organized. You're gonna have to be organized to what works today, tomorrow, next week, and next month. So some bills may have to be sacrificed and you can talk to your, your lenders or your debtors and say, look, I can't pay this month, but I'm going to pay next month and I get this. Is there a way you can allow me a forbearance? A lot of times and not every time, there are companies that are willing to work with you, especially sometimes it comes to your student loans, um, your home loan. They're willing to take your money and say, okay, I'll give you a pass this month, but you better be willing to pay the next month. And I've come into that position. So say like uh, two months ago, I called my lender for my car and I said, I need a forbearance for about a month. What I did was instead of making the car payment, they gave me the forbearance for that month. I took the 400 and whatever some dollars and I was getting cash advances and they're like a pitfall. What I did was I paid off my cash advance and I paid off a sum of my credit card that I normally use. So now the cash advance works by <clears throat> an extreme annual percentage. So say like if you borrow 300 or $200 or what is it? $250 you're gonna to have to pay them $300 to pay it off. They earn 45. After it, I would probably have to say a few, uh, maybe a month or two, probably two months, you end up borrowing in fees more than what your initial principal temporary cash advance loan is. And so it's like a predatory loan. So I got rid of my cash advance and got rid of a sum of a credit card. So it gave me some leeway, some breathing room. I don't have a bill collector from the cash advance telling me my payment's due on Friday. Feels good. So I said, okay. It gave me a little bit extra money to spend on groceries. What I did was looked at what I was eating and I was like, I'm buying processed food. It's too expensive. Eating like shit eating crap is too expensive. So what I did was I spent a little bit of time learning about cooking from scratch. Now cooking from scratch is a pain in the ass at times because it takes so long to get materials ready. But along with getting materials ready, it takes action planning yourself. So it's like, okay, if I'm gonna have this money extra to pay off these bills to get me to buy groceries and cook for myself, I'm gonna save $200 on not spending for the next two weeks of going out to eat for lunch or dinner. 
I'm going to sacrifice for those two weeks eating home-cooked meals as best I can make them for two weeks. So I understood the sacrifice of that $200 that I spent on normally going out to eat and I made it a surplus. So I turned it around and I'm like, okay, I have $200 more to use towards things to make my life better. But I transferred it. I took that $200 and I spent a little bit of money on better cookware, which I bought better groceries. My health, my energy, my attitude started going up. That small time expense, the next month rolled over, my car payment was due, I paid my car payment with that ease and no problem, and I got rid of a bill and I started beginning instead of that 10 to 50 to 100 dollars that I had saved in the beginning I saved 150 dollars more so I went from a balance of I think it was like 512 within about a month month and a half to I think it was 400 dollars total in total in my in my checking account so once I got that I said okay I need to put this more in my savings more in my investment of myself and I need to now start thinking I've got a surplus let's keep the surplus going so out of that $450 I took $300 and I split it between three places. I put more in my other just savings account that I couldn't touch, and then my savings account for my rainy day, whatever, you know, and then I took another, uh, the last third, and I started looking at what makes money. So I talked to a friend who is a financial advisor and he told me at first, there's not much you can do with $100, but it's a start. Don't feel bad. So he gave me a financial plan or portfolio that I possibly could look into. And he's like, well, if you can get $1,000, I can start getting you into investments and the investments can pay out in 90 days more than likely it's a gamble but more than likely they'll pay off right and i started asking questions how much of a payoff i need to know that i'm going to be paid more in whole at least by 40 percent than what i've initially lend the investment group to invest in and make can you guarantee that he's like no i can't he says, I need to point you out to what's called a fiduciary duty, you know, analyst, investor, and uh, counselor. And what a fiduciary duty means, this guy or this entity agrees to make no money in profit. They're completely non-profit. They cannot suggest you to earn something and then they earn at the same time. No, it doesn't work like that. 
they're only working for your best interest. Now, why would anyone do that? That's the big question. What I end up finding out was these fiduciaries were interconnected with the banking system. The bank needs the fiduciaries because the fiduciaries guarantee that they have a line of investors that have their back and will give them money in exchange. They have to produce a positive result. So we understood that. So you're like, okay, well, Jason, you're talking so far ahead. Well, if you go back to the beginning, it started off from looking at putting that five, $10, hundred dollars, whatever you want percentage away and using the leverage of your assets or your surplus of what you had in your accounts to pay off. You didn't owe anyone anymore, and you, but you certainly aren't going to start to borrow and, and create a new loan for something else. That was the thing that I didn't cover. Don't go borrow and replace the debt of what you just paid off. You want to propel yourself in a momentum. And this is how rich people think. They're not thinking of paying how to pay their bills off. They're thinking about the surplus. So you got to put your mind in a surplus state of being. When you have a surplus, it's easier to work than you're working from a lack because you're not under threat and you're not under survival. So with that being said, once you have the attitude of surplus, the stresses that you feel will lighten. Your attitude will lighten. Maybe the body position will lighten. A lot of things are affected by the environment you're in. So say like you're living in the hood, you're living in the ghetto, no air conditioning or heating, you know, maybe there's rodents or just not a safe place to live. You went from, nobody knows this and and keep this quiet. Don't tell anyone that you're doing this. You went from absolutely zero, like your next door neighbor, to you got a plus. And then eventually you quietly and respectfully remove yourself from that environment that you didn't want to be in or you improve your environment. Like I was talking to Mr. No Show, I was telling him a while back when we were talking, I said, if people took time to invest in their environment, their environment is not so bad. So another guy I was reading about, he was living in the ghetto, started gaining assets, and instead of moving out of the hood, he stayed in the hood He improved his home, made some repairs, started gardening, beautifying, and people started admiring what he had. Now he told, he was saying also that people try to rob him because he's in improvements, but he put security things in place. He watched his attitude of having to carry a gun on his hip underneath his jacket to not worry. And the next thing he said, my neighbor started asking me how I did all this. And I gave him a little bit, just enough to think about. And before you know it, you know, the neighborhood started to change. The environment started to change. People started to change. Because I was telling Mr. No Show, I was like, if people invest in their community themselves, they don't got to worry about gentrification because then it retains a value. 
but it really depends on our neighborhoods, our attitudes, our interactions. So it starts with us. Before we worry about anyone else, work on you. Don't worry how it's going to reflect on your spouse. If your spouse is not on the same page, that's okay. They're going to be with you in the long term or they're not going to be. And that's the hard part to accept. Well, that's all the time I have in this first edition of Deficit to Asset. Uh, Stay tuned in next time and we'll be diving into the attitudes of what sink our daily lives. So thanks for listening to Deficit to Asset on the Good Vibes with Jason B, uh, Broad Minds and More podcast. And we're going to go forward. Thanks a lot, everyone.